What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. Welcome to the Can't Wait Podcast. We are breaking new ground live on location. The second annual JJ Invitational Golf Outing at the beautiful Silver Lake Golf Course on Staten Island. What could possibly go wrong other than the computer overheating? And we've got your phone in ice right now. My phone is currently our connection to the world (laughs) in a cup of ice. Yeah, we're going to get there, though. We're going to be with you for probably about the next hour. We're hoping to have some guests on. It's going to be fun. First time we've done this. Yeah, it's new. I said it is really new ground. I mean, I remember when JJ kind of brought up the idea of doing the golf outing because he did it last year. And unfortunately, we couldn't make it. And we were talking about it. And I've gone on his podcast quite a bit. And and obviously, when he used to work at WFAN, I used to go on the spots. And we've always had great conversations. So he brought up this idea of doing a, a, a golf outing. I was, man, I was like, let's get out there. And actually, when he messaged me about we were doing the Can't Wait podcast, I was like, you know what? It'd be kind of cool to do an on location. And and I mean, that was probably two, three months ago. Here we are, a, a wedding, a honeymoon, a, a baby announcement <laughs> later. And we are, in fact, live at a golf outing. Like you said, we're going to have guests. Everything It's going to be fun. So if you haven't listened to the show or seen the show before, I'm Tim McMaster. This is Connor Hughes. You usually see Marissa Morris as well. That is the one area where technology has caught up with us. She is here. You will hopefully hear her voice, but you won't see Marissa because she's right there. She's right there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, hey, Marissa, say hi to everyone. Buddy, yeah. thanks for joining us. <laughs> Hopefully, this goes smoothly. So, fingers crossed. That's right. She's, she's basically almost. She's actually pressing ones and twos. We always right. talk about how Marissa's like producing behind the scenes with the podcast. This way, the podcast. She's bringing up this. She's bringing. She's ready to play the audio. No, now we've got a. We've got mixers. We've got headphones. We've got computers. Although I'm not connected to the Wi-Fi. No one will know that until now. <laughs> but we are. We are. We are rocking and rolling. I got to drop the first little cliche thing. And and obviously, Drink. there's yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot clearly to talk about here moving forward. All right, everybody, um, you know, we're going to get you ready for obviously training camp. That's the big thing on the Jets side of things. A uh, couple of weeks until they report. Uh, since we last talked to you, it's been a while. Connor did get married, I went did. on his honeymoon. He's back. We'll talk a little bit about that as well. But I want to start here because you're a married man now, but some things never change, <laughs> including this morning and getting here to the golf course so just to fill you in connor sends a text message i'm on my way i'm about an hour away what does everybody want for coffee and i think me and marissa's reactions in our cars was like wow new connor he's getting coffee he's going to be there on time Mm I say, well, I'm ahead of the game. I'm actually pulling into a Starbucks now, so don't worry about early. it. Early. Right, Very early. early. Yes. Because traffic was was fine coming out of Manhattan. Then the text comes a few minutes later. Actually, I forgot my laptop. Mm-hmm. I have to go back. Uh, Tim, can you get me a coffee? Complete reversal and yeah. just on point. It's on point. It's, it's, on, it's point. on brand at this point, man. I mean, that was, I, I swear, I left the house. I got up right in time. I checked the thing. I was like, all right, no traffic. GPS says we're going to be good. And I swear, I'm rolling. I'm like, I'm going to get coffee for everyone, maybe some donuts. We're going to be good. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a great new broadcast. And sure enough, I'm not even making a left-hand turn out of my development. I'm probably two miles from my house when I'm like, I don't have my laptop. I don't have the selfie light. I don't have the laptop. I don't have anything. And I'm like, I now need to go back. And sure enough, I turn around, get back in the car, and suddenly my 9 o'clock arrival time is 9.15. I'm like, oh, it's going to be tough. 
But and we, the funny thing too is, and we're gonna have JJ on here in a second, is that I was actually kind of concerned about the setup because I think we said yeah. about this, like setting up a mixer and a board. I haven't done that in like ten years. Yeah. I know, like it's been our first live. I was like, I'm kind of worried that we're going to have a, a major delay, major holdup. And so far, I mean, as long as your cup maintains in that ice and Marissa's <laughs> computer doesn't explode, I mean, we are. We're ready to go. JJ has way yeah. more experience with these yeah, things than, over than we do. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. We've had, I've been on your uh, WF again. I've come to your ringer. I've been on everything you've done. So now it's, it's kind of like the nice little the change of pace here to have you on the Can't Wait podcast. Well, this is fabulous. First of all, thank you guys for showing up. That's the most yeah. important thing. First of all, uh, second of all, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I know I you get mean, tired of hearing that. Literally, right? He comes yeah. right from the wedding here, the honeymoon, and, and now it's the JJ invitation. Yeah. And I've heard some great things about your golf game. Uh, so I'm see. expecting, you know, I'm expecting <laughs> you be to be maybe one of the front runners here to go win this thing tonight. It's until you see me swing. I, I see the only videos I send you are the good ones. I, I, say, I send I the shanks ones. and the top. Oh yeah, that's, I got to I got to package them all together. But that's why you only get them every now and then. Well, listen, they're few and far between. If I see a good one, that's all I need to see. That's all you need. That's all I need to see. A great day of golf. Raise a lot of money for the Boys and Girls Club, which yeah. is a charity that my fiance's family is involved with. Yeah. So it kind of comes full circle, and we can raise a lot of money. Have a lot of fun. Take a passion of mine that is shared with a whole lot of people yeah. within the audience. Like I'm sure you guys have a whole lot of listeners and viewers oh. who are golfers, and a lot and a lot that hate when I talk about it. it. <laughs> yeah, and, a, and, a, and very many that hate when I talk about it. I mean that that's. I mean, well, I got, it's funny you say that. So I got a voicemail yesterday. We didn't <laughs> ask me anything on my podcast, which I never normally do. Like normally, yeah. Sorry, right, Yankees, Jets, Jets, yeah. whatever. So somebody had mentioned that trouble with the athletic, <laughs> but they used it on my podcast that it was a little jerky. Got you. you okay. Can take the word and, uh, yes. and transcribe it any way yeah. you like. <laughs> I think the people fail to realize most of us are not playing. Okay, Liberty National and Beth no. Page and uh, well, no. Beth Page actually. Played, I got a story but, for you before you go. But, yes. but all of these like bougie country. I'm not a country club guy. I put the music on in the car. Yes. I'm chilling. I'm yep. having a few beers, which I'll be doing in a little bit, <laughs> and then we kind of take it from there. So. Listen, all in all, I can't believe we have 100 plus people out here playing yeah. today, and we're going to raise a lot of money. We're going to have a great day, and we have a wonderful time. And yeah. there's going to be a ton of football talk because of the people you know, and obviously the people that have been invited. It's a cool list of people that are playing. Well, and listen, people that, that's in the, the idea. Media. And you know what's really cool about it is I drew my years growing up here on Staten Island, then going to Syracuse and having that connection of folks, then all my folks like Connor who are broadcast types yeah. and media types that I've gotten to know over the years. It's like a cool mix of people kind of all yeah. converging on one day. Yeah. Some will know one another. Others will not know one another. But, hey, that's why we're doing what we do. You mentioned the uh, like the Liberty National. like, and that, We're not all playing that. I actually did a month and a half ago. So <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. Out there. So uh, when Salah first got hired, we had talked a little bit. He's a big golfer. Like, like Salah's a big golfer. Like He really does love like it. So, I mean, yeah. I I did, no, like seriously. Already. So when he first got there, we were kind of just BSing for a bit and we were saying like, oh, like what, what courses have you played? What are nice courses in the area? So it's kind of like, oh, like this is a good one to go play. You can go get on Beth Page. That'll be a fun one to do. Like if you want to take the trip up. So the last day of minicamp or second to last day of minicamp, I was walking down the sideline. He came away. He goes, Connie, I got to tell you something. He goes, guess where I played this weekend? He goes, guess what? He played something like Shinnecock. One other one of these gorgeous, what's the really Pine Valley? Yes. So he played Shinnecock, Pine Valley, and one other one in a so three-day stretch. He basically set up his golf tour. <laughs> oh, I said, to I was like, dude, I was like, the next time, I was like, what are you kidding? So he's, I ended up seeing some pictures from the course. I was like, man, I was like, next time you do a stretch like that, I was like, that's the invite I want. Jay, I was like, that's the one I want the invite that. for. 
can you put me in a position where I'm rocking and rolling? Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh my God. He was, he was like, oh, he goes, that was, I was like, how'd you shoot? He goes, I think he said he was in the 80s. I think he was playing. I was like, hey, man, oh, those courses. Must oh, be nice. oh, he's, he's humble with it. I have a feeling he's a really good player. He was the, actually a story talking about how he got started. He used to like come home and like basically like, he didn't play golf before, but all the other coaches, I think when he was in Seattle, maybe all the other coaches had played like played golf. And he said like during a, a Christmas, um, a Christmas party. He had, they, they gone bowling. Like they'd done like one of the, I think it might've been Pete Carroll did like a, a bowling thing and Sala won it. And the winning thing was like $500 to like Dick's sporting goods or something. So he's like, you know what? Everyone keeps talking about, should I start playing golf? Should I start? He goes, I'll buy a beginner set of clubs. And, and from that started, like a lot of guys are like fierce competitors. Yep. And I think you see with a lot of athletes, they can't play football at the same level or they can't play yep. baseball or whatever at the same level. And it's the idea of, Oh, I can still have this level of competition. Yeah. Fun throwing a couple of beverages yep. and it's my happy place. Exactly. I mean, I mean, so like even today, man, sun's out. It's, it's perfect. And I can't yeah. wait for you guys to play this course. I mean, yeah, I'm great, excited for it. Course, you guys, you guys it's for a retreat. There we go. It's a terrific, terrific course. Before we let you get out of here, your prediction for the division, top to bottom, how are we going to finish? All right, let's have some fun with this. All right. I really want to pick against Buffalo to win the division, but I can't do it. No. The most talented team and, we talk about quarterbacks exceeding expectations. What a save. That would be a good clip. That was that, yeah, now role. you guys can see Marissa. Yeah, Marissa. <laughs> Look at that. I did hear her scream. I was like, did something, and now it's coming back down again. What a legendary, legendary job. Oh, yeah. All the dirty work. All the dirty work. People always say, what does Marissa do? Like, yeah, she, they don't she's see it. She's a producer. Up, she's cleaning yep. up your message. Basically. Exactly. That's the way it works. Exactly. Um, Buffalo's going to win this division. Yeah. They're well coached. Allen is fantastic. I think they'll have some form of regression yeah. now. I don't think they're winning 14 games. Neither do I. I agree season. with you. Yeah. I probably put them at around 11 or 12 wins. Yeah. Now, I know a lot of people are going to pick New England second. I'm not. I'm picking Miami second. I think Miami is in a very good position with the speed that they've added to their team in the offseason. Yeah. Waddle, Wolf Fuller, who is exactly the sort of deep threat that they need to kind of open up that offense. Yeah. I think Miami is going to be a 10-win team, and I think yeah. New England's right there. I think this is – Pound for pound, and this is the problem the Jets are going to run into. Yeah. The most competitive division, one, two, and three. Yeah. And the Jets are improved. I think they are going yeah. to be better. I think they're going to be in a lot of games, but they are going to be in such a tough spot because yeah. at best, guys, at best, I have them going two and four in the division. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Is that, is, is, no, I, I think mean, that's fair. I can't see them sweeping one of these teams. No. And you want to tell me they split with Miami? You want to tell me they split with New England? I don't see them beating Buffalo. No, I don't either. And when you're two and four, mm, tough to win games. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I think I'm right there with you because I have Buffalo one. I don't believe in New England. I mean, very rarely well, when a team well, goes that crazy. Who's the quarterback? Yeah. And you nailed it. These teams that spend big. You get a boost, agency, but it doesn't it last. It doesn't always mm -hmm. work. And it's so against the character of that team to do that the way they've done it all these years. And then Belichick just Isn't says, this is the year point? I'm well, going to spend I, the money. I wonder if it's late in the game for Belichick. I think so. Where he's yeah. like, I'm older. Yeah. I want Shula's record. I don't care. They also have I want to beat Brady. Me. Oh, well, <laughs> listen. I now am full full circle rooting for Tom Brady. Yeah. I love it. I, I, I for years yeah. I rooted against the guy. Now I'm like, now hey, it's fun. He's the man. Hey, mm -hmm. let him go win. If he wins more, it makes New England look bad. So Bills, Dolphins, Patriots, Jets. That's me. I, I'm, I think I'm right there. With I th my thing with Miami is that whether they're going to be, I think they can win eight games with two two of last year. Like they, I mean, they like they even like what they've the way they've improved the team. I think they could. That's like a, a they can have bad quarterback play, which at times they did last year, oh, and they won ten. Right? Weren't they ten and six last year? Wait. Remember, a tough schedule. Yeah, tough schedule. Yeah. the NFC West. Yeah. That is as good a division with Seattle, San Fran, Arizona, yeah. and the Rams. 
No. You got some Fitz magic, which obviously like play, play. He always has the boost and it plays a role. But it, like I think, even if Tua is bad, I still think at the minimum you guys can win ten, eight games. I think it's a minimum of eight games even with that team, which I think is going to be better than New England and obviously probably better than the Jets this year. If Tua takes some form of a jump where he's healthy now, fully recovered from that injury he had at Alabama, better understanding the NFL, better understanding of the playbook, just more NFL ready. I see Marissa like literally staring this banner down, ready to jump. <laughs> nah, she's a problem. Yeah, she, yeah, she's ready to go. I'm Very elusive. Gonna a, he's going to get a helmet. That first golf, step. That, uh, Michael Dunn. Michael would be very proud of that first step into the hole. Taking her talents to the golf course today. You tip for that. Man. I, I said she's got the outfit. She's like Bree, where she got the, the outfit all up to You're go play, to but she's go. not going to play. She might ride. She's going to heckle us and ride. She's going to be yeah. our caddy. I was going to say, listen. The Aren't you supposed to hit it straight? Why are you on that fairway? Right on the beach. Yeah. But I'm, I'm right with you. I think it's going to be Buffalo. I think it's going to be Miami. I think it's going to be New England. I think it's going to be the Jets. But the Jets, I don't – I think that – I think the, I mean, obviously, a step up from 2-14, and 14, it's a low bar to clear. But I think that team could be – if if Wilson is ready, I think it could be a team that pushes for seven games. I think it could potentially get to eight. And then maybe they do jump the Patriots. I'm imagine just, if, that's, if the Jets put together an eight-win year. You always get a first-year coach. I mean, even right. Gase won seven games. I mean, like, you can even get a first-year bump, and Salah's going to be motivational. Seven games, first year with the Jets, because you won all those games at the end of the year. Right, you because he had mono. Seven. He had, that you team. know, the mono. They probably would have won eight. If Sam didn't get mono, they, that yeah. team probably that, – that team might have gotten to eight or nine wins. I mean, if Sam didn't get and mono. Because they would have beaten – they almost – might still be the coach. Yeah. That would have been uh, because if he was coming off a nine-win year, you get him extension. Yeah, for two. Yeah, and God, I don't even know what happened last year. It's still thinking about it, like how bad that. Because I went back and I honestly, you block a lot of it from your mind, even covering it. But you go back and you start to see some of that stuff. I still can't believe it, man. I still can't believe. It. But hey, dude, I'm I'm excited to play here. I'm excited to see the course. I'm excited for the event. It's a great time. And and I mean, if you if you've already amped it, amped it from. First year of the JJ Invitational, or now the JJ Golf Fighting well, to now number two. Listen, it might have to be an invitation by year three. Salah, you know, he's, he's welcome. There you the go. I'll let yeah, him know. He's I'll let him know. As long as he uh, takes it easy on the Dolphins. There I'll you go. <laughs> we'll see. All right, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, guys. It's Marissa. We had a little technical difficulties here, so I'm going to pick us back up with Connor's discussion on Marcus May's contract and why he's likely to play this season on the franchise tag. With Marcus, he's a very good player. He's not a great player. He's not an all-pro player. He's not an incredible player. He's probably a borderline Pro Bowl player at his best. But he's a very good player, not a great player. He plays a position that is not incredibly valuable in this scheme because Salah wants to invest in the front four. He wants that 49ers defensive front that's going to measure the quarterback, get to the quarterback with your front four, and if you can do that, suddenly you can drop everyone back. The Jets don't want to pay Marcus May $20 million a year. They probably don't want to pay him 18, 19, 17, 17, 18, 19 million dollars a year. They want to pay him a salary that is reasonable for what he is both worth as a player and then worth in this defensive scheme. When you speak the way that you have about Marcus, though, suddenly Marcus isn't going to accept that deal. He's not going to accept less than the franchise tag. He's not going to accept these things. And from the Jets' perspective, they don't want to overpay him. They want to pay him more. And they realize that if worst comes to worst, they can just franchise tag him again next year. And then suddenly you're looking at about 30 years old. So it's a difficult negotiation, I think. It's a difficult contract. I think, here you go, Marissa, if you want another one. I'm watching him. <laughs> Marissa's tagging all over the place as our computer tries not to explode in the heat. Um, I think that you're looking at a potentially ugly contract negotiation because of the way that Marcus wants to be paid because of what the way the Jets want to pay him and all of these different little things that are included in it. So clearly this is coming down to the wire right now is as the NFL network reported, um, it doesn't look like a deal is going to get done before yeah. tomorrow. And then we're going to see how this plays out once it does, because May's already signed. So because May's already signed, 
the franchise tag, the Jets can now start finding him if he doesn't show up and things like that. So he's going to be in training camp. Whether it's with a smile on his face or not, we'll see. And, and then we're going to have to play it, play it from there. I mean, day one of training camp, is that the main thing you're looking to figure out right away is if Marcus May is smiling and what that could do for, you know, the chemistry of this team? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think that the, the other issue that the Jets are running into is how respected May is because he is a guy that he's not he's not a rah-rah. And I always compared him and Jamal because Jamal was the guy that wanted everyone to know he was the leader. He was the one that wanted everyone to know he was the captain. When he was in the locker room, he was the one who was making sure his voice was louder than everyone else's in a quite literal term. You know what I mean? (laughs) If somebody else was speaking, he was still doing things in the background almost to command the spotlight. If he was doing it, it was all of those things that you, you knew Jamal was in a room, not necessarily because of his presence, but because of his voice. With Marcus, that was not Marcus May. He was not somebody that was trying to speak louder than the guy next to him. He was not somebody that was trying to demand the spotlight. He was never somebody that wanted the attention. All right, so Marcus May, one big story, but obviously the biggest story around this team that's been going on throughout the offseason is Zach Wilson. Yeah. He passed all the tests in the mini camps, mm-hmm. but this is the bigger test, right? What's when you think about those little tests along the way and then what he's up against here in training camp, what's the difference for him? How much does he have to kind of raise his game and take that next step to continue to show that he's going to be ready to be game week one starting quarterback for the Jets? Yeah, well, I think that's I think the biggest thing is actually going to be these joint practices that the Jets have because look, he looked good against the Jets, but every time the toughest thing about evaluating a team in training camp is that you don't necessarily know if they look good because they look good or they look good because the defense sucks. You know what I mean? Like that kind of a thing is that it's, is this good or is that bad? Like it's that, it's, it's that. And when you're talking about the Jets secondary, you kind exactly, of which has their issues. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And they have their issues. They have their concerns. They have their problems. So like it's, how does it look? So he did pass every test from OTAs and minicamp. And I, I actually went back. I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast we did before the wedding or anything, but I went back and I read all of the things that I was writing about Sam in 2018, his rookie year. And I was going back and I was reading about how did he look in this situation? What was he doing in OTAs? What was he doing in minicamp to see if maybe I'm just selective perception that you see him doing well, you think he's doing well, but was Sam doing these same things? And what you found was like, no, I mean, Sam's first OTA, he went two of 11 and like threw two picks. And meanwhile, Zach's out there taking shots down the field, looking good here, looking comfortable. So I think it's a combination of, a good offense helped Zach a lot. Look how he did in the offseason. I think it's a combination of the team around him. He's got more talent around him than Sam ever did at any point in time. And then it's also just casually getting better each and every day. The Jets put more in his plate on the second week of OTAs than the first, and the same on the third than the, than the second. And then in the mini camps, day three, two, one, two was more advanced than one, three was more advanced than two. But what's really going to help him is, I think, and it's one of the reasons why the Jets scheduled two of the joint practices is when he gets a chance to go up against the Packers defense, a team that is a very good team. And then the Eagles defense, which obviously the Eagles had their issues last year, but I think that was more of a cluster you-know-what than anything else with the Philadelphia Eagles. That's another kind of a team that's going to be good to see in another color and see how they look, how he does, and how he continues to get better. Because, again, I haven't seen – I've made this comment a million times on the show. I've written it a million times at every outlet I've ever worked for, is that I've never had the luxury of covering a true franchise quarterback. You know, I didn't see – Peyton Manning. I never saw Andrew Luck. I never saw Tom Brady. I never saw Aaron Rodgers. I never saw these guys practice. I saw Eli Manning, but I saw Eli Manning when he was at his rook, uh, his his year in Ben McAdoo's new offense. And so he looked awful because it was the right. first time he'd learned a new offense other than Kevin Gilbride. So it was like he'd been in the same system. Now suddenly brand new system. It all looks all kinds of crap and bad and not very good. 
from then I joined the Jets and there's Geno Smith and there's Ryan Fitzpatrick and there's Sam Darnold and there's Bryce Petty. And there's, like, there's never been a franchise quarterback to say, okay, this is what Aaron looked like as a rookie. This is what Mahomes looked like as a rookie. This is what Alex Smith, like to see these like little things that these veterans, these good players, see what they did to then compare to what Zach's doing. But what I can tell you is that Zach looks better than what Sam Darnold did. He looks comfortable. He looks calm. It doesn't look too big for him. And I think that's a massive thing for a rookie quarterback because it doesn't look too big. And when it doesn't look too big for him, there's something to build on there. And, and I think in training camp now, when the bullets are really flying, when the pads are on, when there is an actual pass rush coming at him, can he keep doing what he did in, in, in the offseason program? And it's not necessarily about tearing it up. It's not about throwing seven touchdowns. It's just making it look like you belong and the game's not too big for you. And when that happens, the guys around you can help you because the Jets now, with Morgan Moses on the right side, they have a legit offensive line. Yep. You got Becton, you got um, Vera Tucker, who the Jets absolutely love. You got healthy McGovern. You got, obviously, a competition now at right guard, and then, obviously, you have Morgan Moses at right tackle. That's a better offensive line than the Jets have had at any point since before I got there in 2014. That's the best offensive line I've seen this team have, the most talented offensive line as long as they're healthy. You got a good group of receivers with Crowder, Elijah Moore, who we talk about ad nauseum, uh, Denzel Mims, obviously, who's in the rotation as well. Keelan Cole, that's a guy you're just throwing in there, but he looks really, really good. And then, obviously, everyone else that they have where they signed Corey Davis and everything like that. So you have a good talent around them, a good offensive line, a good offensive play caller in the floor who you think is really, going to be a really good offensive coordinator. And now you can kind of keep building around him. What Zach needs to realize is what Sam had. To, Sam had to do it all himself. Zach doesn't have to do it all himself. So as long as he keeps progressing, it's going to keep getting better for him. The one thing, though, that Zach does have to do himself is kind of the learning curve. I mean, obviously, he has LaFleur there. But still, still, two yeah. weeks before training camp, there's no veteran quarterback in that room. And we've talked about it on the podcast before and the options. And, I mean, at some point, right? I mean, he's going to be the week one starter. Yeah. But, like... What if the first quarter of week one, what if he, he, gets, gets mono? he gets injured? <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, Connor. But yes, what if he gets mono? Um, I mean, there has to be somebody else in the room. They have to pick up the offense. So at this point, does it feel like whoever the Jets bring in has to have an idea of how to play this offense already? I'm stunned that the player's not here. Right. Uh, that is one that like, I get the OTA. And again, there's still time. I mean, oh, the first practice is the 28th, the day before. But I, I get like they wanted the young guys to have reps. I just would have wanted... In my opinion, man, it's just I would have had the the veteran in here. I would have had the younger I would have had the veteran in here to continue to learn the offense as well. Because if he hasn't played for LaFleur or Shanahan before, he doesn't know the scheme. So he's gonna be learning it as well. And then you want to have a guy that can help Zach. You don't want to have somebody that's learning with Zach. You want to have someone that knows it, that can help him, that can move forward. It's it's one of the reasons why, and it's a, a poor example because it didn't work because his ankle exploded on national television. But the Jets brought Trevor Simeon in with Adam Gase because Simeon knew Gase's offense so Simeon could help Sam learn the offense. Right. You kind of want somebody who has that general understanding. Unfortunately, that player wasn't necessarily there in free agency. Like, the Jets weren't going to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. The Jets weren't going to make those moves or anything like that. So you're kind of forced to, to play it. But you still want somebody there that if something were to happen to Zach, he tweaks his hamstring running around the outside. I mean, we saw we, – we just had JJ on it, the big Dolphins fan. Ryan Tannehill with Gase – in training camp, just took a run around the outside, didn't get hit. His knee is he tore his ACL. Like that can happen in camp. Things can happen. Weird things can happen. It's the Jets. Weird things seem to always happen. So you don't necessarily want to run the risk of that happening and not having a contingency plan because right now there really isn't a contingency plan. James Morgan's not ready. Mike White is not a realistic NFL option. You want to have that veteran. I don't know if it's Nick Foles. I don't know if it's I don't know what they're going to do now because Nick right. Foles seems like the only option. So it's it's that he's on a team. Yeah, it's the one. 
ball dropping that I've kind of seen from this team to this point that I do genuinely believe that they dropped the ball and not adding a veteran quarterback at some point in free agency to learn from these guys, to learn with Zach, to do these things. And, and it's a matter now of, of, is it going to hurt them? Is it going to cost them or what? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we've talked about kind of the biggest storylines, I think. But the other one is, you know, Robert Sala, it's his first training camp. You've talked about it. Mini camps. They're all the same. Yeah. It doesn't matter who the coach is. It's the same deal. You have limited time. You're going through mm-hmm. the, the things. You have to get this in place. You have to get that in place. I feel like training camp's a little bit different. It's more of a chance for a, a new head coach to really put his imprint on a team. He's. It feels like he's already won over this team as far as yeah. the leadership abilities and what he's going to bring in the locker room. So what's the next step for him in training camp and taking this team from, all right, we're together, we're all moving in the right direction, to, okay, we're going to win more than two football games this year. Yeah, well, that's the thing is that the, the Jets have gone. It all, it's almost like a, a seesaw where they do one thing one way, then they do one thing the next way. They do one thing the next way. It's like they go for the the specialist, the coordinator. They want like the sexy name, and then that, they go for the motivational guy. So you go from this one to that one. It kind of goes you know with the Mangini. Then you go to the guy who's like Rex, where you're going to be a little bit more boy, like somebody's going to motivate the crowd. I think Sala, the difference with him, is that yes, he's a player's coach. Like you can tell, he is a motivator of men he is a leader of men like you can tell that is what he does he's somebody who when he is in the room everyone knows he's there and he's somebody who is not he's not inauthentic because that's the thing about rex right like rex would motivate his guys but sometimes with rex it was so over the top that it wasn't believable right you know with solid it's all genuine it's all heart it's all from the heart it's all believe it's not fake it's real and when you're not when you are that genuine you're authentic players are going to respect that players are going to follow it they're going to respect his journey from where he was the lowest of low levels all the way up to not being a head coach they're going to respect his performance where obviously he's had the success with the 49ers he's won a super bowl with the seahawks he's done these different things and you can see the guys are following him for but what i think is the biggest difference with sala compared to some of the other coaches that have been around the jets is that he has truly surrounded himself with a staff he has truly surrounded himself where it's not just him he can be the manager of the team he can be the overseer of everything and the comparison that i would give is is that you know tom coughlin when he was with the giants tom had an offensive coordinator that ran the offense a defensive coordinator that ran the defense and then tom oversaw the operation and he would make the big decisions i want to go for it here but he delegated his tasks so he could see where where this is going wrong, I'm going to be there. When this is going wrong, I'm going to be there. Joe Judge is now doing it with the Giants. And I, I just two giant examples. I'll talk to Giants reporters about it, where things will go negative on this aspect or this spot for the Giants. Joe will go and spend time there. Things yeah. will go then wrong here in this area. Joe will go spend time there. With Adam, when Gase was here, from the moment the Jets hired him, he said he wanted a head coach for the defense because he couldn't focus on the defense. He was, had to be with the quarterback and developing Sam. And that's not Salah. So while Salah is a defensive-minded guy, he's been a defensive-minded guy, he's done those things, that's not what he's doing here. What Salah's going to do is, I have a defensive coordinator who's going to run the defense. 
I have an offensive coordinator who's going to run the offense. I'm then going to go where I am needed. I'm going to oversee the operation. And I think that's really what the Jets need because it's it's going to give them a sense of true organizational structure. And they haven't had that in a very long time. They really haven't had competence in a very long time. And I think Salah immediately gives them that. And you yep. talk to him and you understand him. And you can tell he's not going to ever make the boisterous comments. He's never – and he's – and I. I'll go back to this quote because this is really what, for me, did it. What really, for me, I was like, you know what? I get, I get why they brought this guy in. Is that we see him on the sidelines, right? Like we see him some of his moments with the 49ers make the goal line stand, and he is screaming and he is yelling. He's clenching his fist, and the headset's falling off. And the guy, the the, the he's got to get back. Coaches had to push him to the side. I remember when I saw that highlight the very first time, I was like, that works when you're a defensive coordinator. Yep. It doesn't necessarily work when you're a head coach. So I was worried, not worried, but it was kind of like one of those, like, okay, make a little asterisk and just pay attention to it this year. Is if he's constantly screaming and yelling like that, is his emotion going to get the better of him on a Sunday? Where suddenly, you know, he doesn't like a call and he's going for it on fourth and eight at his own 20 yard line. Like, he's just that emotional. Emotions. Like, yeah, yeah, is that going to happen? And then we were talking to him at a press conference, I think it was during OTAs, and, and he made a comment about how I'm not into butt chewings, I'm into teachings. And you'll never see me yell on the sideline. You'll never see me yell at a player. What I realized in that moment is that when he was, that, that clip that made its highlight all over the place, all over Jets, Twitter, all over NFL Network, ESPN, everything like that. When he was screaming like that in the headset, he wasn't screaming at a player. He wasn't screaming at a ref. He was so emotionally excited for his guys. He was screaming in excitement. Right. Through OTAs and minicamp, and I know we're going to see it in training camp, I never once saw Salah raise his voice at a player. I never saw him scream at a player. I saw him pull players aside and talk to them. I saw him standing next to the floor as the floor worked for the offense. I saw him talking to Zach Wilson. I saw him talking to this player and that player and this guy and that guy and C.J. Mosley. But every time he was talking, he was also teaching. When something would go wrong with a player, when something would go wrong with an assignment, he brought that guy over and he talked to him. He said, look, this is what happened. This is what needs to be fixed. This is what we need to do different. This is what happened here. This is what need, This is what we need to do different. He was teaching. He was informing. And that's what his staff does. That's what LaFleur is going to do. That's what Ulbricht is going to do. That's what this entire staff, with the exception of Brent Boyer, who is a butt, like he, that guy's <laughs> going to choose somebody's, like he is big into the, the, the yelling. Like that's Boyer, but that's not Salah. And that's what, is different this time around because Adam Gase was so ins- this again I'm just going back to the teams that I've covered. Adam Gase was very much the um he wanted to outstrategize the guy that he was next. Right. He didn't want it. He wasn't going to motivate the guys. He wasn't going to scream and yell at the guys. He wanted to ex- he wanted to out X his nose you. And obviously that did not work. With Todd, he was so reserved that while he was into the teachings and stuff, when there was the passion, he never really showed that passion on the sideline. It was why he got that stone-cold Todd Bowles face. You know, like that, like just the stone-cold face of Todd Bowles. You saw, like, that was it. With Rex, he was so above and beyond that he was also not a great, like, schematic manager. Like, it just wasn't all that good. You now have Sala, who is the delegator, the manager, the motivator, 
somebody that people want to follow, but also the teacher where his guys are going to want to play for him to see that emotion from him, but the emotion is not going to be directed at his guys and cause them to blow up and things like that. And I, I honestly believe that in training camp, you're going to see that truly come through and you're going to see why the Jets love this guy so much and why once they interviewed him, there was no who's next. There was no who's they interviewed. Obviously, the wide-ranging search, but they knew from the beginning that Salah was their guy very early on. And the, the thing about the yelling and screaming, the butt-chewing, is that it... We lost saved. Marissa. Marissa's yeah. like... Well, she's, as, she's as worrying about a thousand other computer. things. Yeah. yeah, now we're getting... A, yeah. Um, Boyer I'm trying can, to get us guess. She's trying to do everything. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say, <laughs> let's just move it over to the side. Yeah. Mar that's what people like I said in the comment section people are like what does Marissa do and I know we're going to get the comment again because Marissa's not on screen Marissa right now is making sure the laptop doesn't overheat explode. and explode yes and and because we don't necessarily we forgot an umbrella which we'll remember next time yep. for it mental note that she is using her own body to shade the computer to provide computer for the shade she's trying to track down guests she's trying to make sure Tim doesn't get decapitated she's trying to make sure the broadcast is still going on so the 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 woman of many talents best, is taking over. Here. Best in the business. Yes. Um, my point was just that Boyer, a special teams, can get away with the, the butt yeah, chewing because yeah. guys come and go. Yeah. It's not that long-term thing. Mm -hmm. All right. So looking ahead to training camp again, another topic I think is is interesting to think about is who's the who the pressure is on going yeah. into this training camp, right? When you look at this roster and you look at guys who have either been around and haven't quite made their mark yet or they're new yeah. and need to prove themselves – the guy that jumps out to me is Chris Herndon. As like yeah. you're running out of time, buddy. It's it's about time that you just step up and either come through with the promise. You have the skill set. Just don't drop the ball and be that guy. He's one. Mm -hmm. Who else, kind of in your mind, when you look at this training camp? And the other thing to take into account with that is it's a new coaching staff, right? Yeah. So even if you proved yourself to Adam Gase and and he liked what you did. Now you have to prove it all again. So who are the guys that the pressure's on? Makai Becton hasn't really yeah. been able to perform yet. He's another yeah. guy. I would say the big one for me, or one of the big ones for me, is Denzel Mims. Yeah. And that's because he was drafted. He's a linear player. He's a go deep, take top off team. Like it, that's that's who he is. Like he's a good this offense now requires players that are yak. Great route runners, catch the ball. Make your plays after after it. Uh, we're gonna Kevin Clark on in a yep. second now, so we're, we'll take Putting a quick. Putting the gloves down. Yeah, yep. we'll take a quick break, but or when when he comes on, obviously we'll take a break from this. But Denzel now is not necessarily a scheme fit in this one, so he now needs to prove himself all over again. So now we're gonna bring on Kevin Clark. What's up, man? What's going on? How are you? Here. Yeah, just got here. So, so you're literally right here. out of the car. Right just the put car. the clubs down. Just put the clubs down. I am. Uh, I'm ready to golf. I'm ready to talk football. I'm ready to do everything can all we, at once. Can we all happy. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's fine. All right. Perfect. So, first question is: You obviously, you don't see the Jets every single day. You see them from afar, though. Oh my right? God. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. We do, and we're oh somehow God. still here. We're yeah, standing. Yeah. We're, we're meant. The positive is golf season starts early. Like we we get yeah. we get a chance to to get out there and start working on the swing. But you watched what happened with Gase, yeah. you watched what happened with that team from afar. What was your opinion as it kind of was all derailing from the seven and nine season to then what happened last year? There are some NFL hires and I would say the Texans are in this, this bunch, the Jets in the Gase era were in this bunch where it's almost like you see someone and they're about to, you know, like you ever in a car with your buddy and they're about yeah. to run over a curb yes. and you're just like, Hey man, what? Oh, and then yeah. you just can't do anything. Right. Yeah. With Gase, it was so obvious at the outset. And I'm talking, you look 
two two years ago, um, the letting McCagney have an extra yeah. draft. Yeah. Um, hiring Joe Douglas, which I love that hire. Yeah. But it was too late. Right. Um, yeah. You make that decision immediately. What's the old thing? Mm-hmm. Whatever must happen eventually must happen immediately, right? Um, and so all of the decisions sort of added up towards doom. And yeah. now I think they're on the right track, but they're so far behind. I've had some some Jets optimism in my ear over the past couple of weeks or months from Jets yeah. fans. I, I moved to New York from LA a couple a couple months ago, and people were like, "Hey, Jets!" Zach Wilson's like, "Let's slow down here." Yeah, um, they're on the right track, but they they had a lot of building to do. Gase yeah. was, I think, there's a case to be made that Gase was one of the worst hires in modern football history. Um, yeah, when you consider not just the results, but I, I don't think anybody liked that that hire on the front yeah. end. I mean, I mean, they made fun of his introductory press yeah, conference. It wasn't yeah. Monday morning quarterbacking. Right. Um, there's some hires in hindsight that seem bad, but Gase at the time seemed really bad. Um, again, it's the it's the old watch out we do with the the, the car analogy. So, yeah. I think that there's um, I think that they're they're absolutely on the right track right now. I just think that they are a year away from from winning. I think there's kind of three stages of yeah. building. There's 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 ready to go, ready to win now, uh, and I think that there's a second tier where it's. They're not going to be that good this year, but they're they're going to win some games. We're going to feel like they're on the right track. Yeah. They might go, might win eight games. And there's the third, and I think this is where the Jets are, where I don't think this is going to be a wins and losses type of year. I think this is going to be culture vibes. I and mean, yeah. the cool Brian Flores did a couple of years ago, where he built a culture while they were losing. Yeah, that's right. what Robert Sella has to focus on. Because of what you just said and how far behind they were, do you think it was absolutely the right move to let Sam Darnold go away because you're resetting the quarterback? Was that like necessary because of the financials and everything? It had to happen. Yeah, it had to happen because again, if you let's say you sign Sam Darnold to a big-ish contract, I'm not saying a mega extension. I'm saying even anything that's over $10, $10 million. Yeah. Well, then you almost get into the roster version of what they had in the front office, where mm-hmm. the coach and the GM are hired at different times. And, you know, I mean, just it's, it's almost like a, the quarterback version of keeping McCagnin on for, yeah. for an extra <laughs> draft, where you've got Sam Darnold, um, who is going to enter the middle of his career on a bigger contract. And you're in a situation where Robert Sala is just trying to, to lay a foundation, yeah. um, where Joe Douglas is just trying to uh, restock the cupboard as far as roster goes. I just don't think that Sam Darnold would have fit what they were trying to do. So I think I think Zach Wilson's going to be a bit better NFL quarterback anyway in, yeah. in three years. Um, so I, I think it's absolutely the right move. They, they played it perfectly. We obviously have talked like the Jets kind of go through these stances where they've they went for obviously the big boisterous hire when they had Rex. Then obviously that didn't really work. So they went for Todd, which was kind of the fallback because the original guy was Doug Marone. They go Adam Gase and want the brilliant offensive mind. Now they've kind of go gone back because they've tried the specialists, they've tried the sexy names, they've tried all these things. Now they're going with the guy who's truly going to be a they want a manager. Yeah. They want somebody that's going to delegate offense to offense, defense to defense, and he's going to oversee the entire operation. What is your opinion though on Sala? as both a candidate and what he's going to to bring. Because obviously, like we've all in the New York part, we've all dug, dug into it, but it's always interesting to see what the outside perception is looking in. I think it's it's a great hire. And there's a yeah. couple things. Number one is that I think that the run on offensive coaches has been slightly ridiculous yeah. over the past <laughs> yeah. five, six years. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole I know Sean McVay thing has gotten just just a little bit absurd. What you have with Rob Sella is the best of both worlds. You yeah. get the offensive system, um, a literal Lafleur, uh, yeah. who's, who's who's worked under that system and <laughs> yeah. knows it. And you know, I, I remember being on the field a couple of months ago, um, excuse me, a couple of years ago before the the Niners Vikings game, and I, I saw the offensive staff 
uh, the Niners offensive staff interact with Kirk Cousins because he'd been there in Washington yeah. and all that stuff. And you just felt like there was a real sense of community there and a real uh, culture. You know, yeah. you could tell yeah. that some of those guys were, were, were just, I mean, I, this is a weird thing to say, but just vibed guys. You yeah. know, I mean, just they, they understood and they had great relationships with their players. And so you get the the, the man management of Robert Sala, mm-hmm. and then you get the offensive system of Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. And I think that's the best of both worlds to me. I think when you're doing a a slight teardown, whatever you want to call yeah. it, uh, you have to think about culture first. You know, mm-hmm. Warren Sharp was on our podcast a couple days ago, and he had Brian Flores as a top 10 coach. And yeah. I, I disagreed with him, but he said, look at the culture he was able to build when they weren't supposed to. So many teams take a year off. Yeah. Um, so many coaches say, you know what? Screw it. I don't care. I mean, you hear all these stories about, a uh, good example, Jimmy Johnson, Camp University of Miami went to Dallas, and they I think they were one in 15 their first year. Yeah, but you heard so many stories about I, I, I remember reading a story about how he would kick field goals at the end, game winning field goals at the end of practice, just so guys could start to feel the process of winning, and then yeah. they would celebrate like they're winning yeah. all yeah. that stuff. They had no chance to win on Sunday, but they needed to feel something. Yeah. And I think that you need a leader of men like that when you're trying to do that. And it's not just about scheme. If they had gone out and hired an offensive coach, offensive boy genius, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. and he, he's got these great play action schemes or whatever as head coach, that's fine, but you're still not going to win that many games. Yeah. If you have a leader of men and you have a culture builder, that's when you start to see the entire direction of the franchise change, yeah. and that's why it's important. And weirdly, losing can almost become a positive yeah. in a way in that sense yeah. because it, it brings guys together that you know circle the wagons, so and, to speak. And you see who, who's in for the long haul and yeah. who's not. I yeah. mean, you can see if things start to uh, – you know, go back to the Miami analogy. I mean, obviously, they're in the division, but I remember going down there in – December of the year, they were really bad. The year they were tanking, mm-hmm. they had gotten embarrassed by Lamar Jackson. They're getting embarrassed by everybody. And I remember talking to their middle linebacker, um, Drum Baker, and he, he, he was saying that there were times where they were churning through the roster so quickly that he would meet a guy on the field. He would meet a guy on Sunday on the field. He yeah. didn't know who they were. And it's like, oh, there's this guy. And uh, he introduced himself in the huddle. But he himself became – a leader. He, yeah. he was forced to become a leader. And now they sign him to a big extension and all that stuff. And he's a cornerstone. But that kind of stuff is a real separator when you get to find out who is going to uh, be contributing in yeah. 2023 and who doesn't have the, either the character for it, the talent for it, the mindset for it. Yeah. Before we let you um, get out of here, because I know you want to work on the golf game. It's going to be a great time. And the course looks like it's in great shape. There's gorgeous. No, there's cool. no range. So, I mean, who, who the heck knows? What's gonna oh, it's good. Oh, that first oh, that. first couple of holes is going to be gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, Everyone's yeah, going to yeah. be on each other's fairway. Because yeah. it looks like there's not that much uh, <laughs> yeah. the range back there. But you mentioned Zach Wilson. Obviously, there's yeah. it, you come from BYU to the NFL. There's so much uncertainty. I mean, you can look good. You can look good on the highlights. The Jets obviously love him. They believe in him. They like his upside more than Sam, which is probably true. I mean, Sam wasn't a very good quarterback for several years. But what do you look for what would you determine or i guess quantify as a successful first season for him because like you said, i mean the jets roster wise there's still work to be i mean they have the draft picks to do it but they, there's work to be done their roster it's a brand new coach a brand new scheme all these things what do you believe would be a successful first year that would give the jet fans hope moving forward well I think it comes down to winning and being competitive in games that you shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't want to keep going back to Flores here in the Dolphins, but it is a pretty good path to, you know, they, they did win double digit games last year. They were in the playoff hunt last year in a pretty quick turnaround. They beat the Eagles that first year. Yeah. They beat the Bengals that first year. They beat teams that beat the Patriots at one point. Um, but the, 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 they beat teams um, that were more competitive with teams that they weren't, weren't supposed yeah. to. And I think that if Zach Wilson goes into Buffalo, 
and loses by a touchdown. Yeah. I think that's that's the kind of encouragement you mm-hmm. need to see. And I don't think I think if they if they win four games next yeah. year, I don't think that you should just be discouraged yeah. if you're a Jets fan. I think you want to see progress. I think that a lot of the instant success in the NFL for young quarterbacks has really uh, obscured how hard it is yeah. to be a good young quarterback. I mean, listen, Josh Allen did not become Josh Allen until year three. Mm-hmm. Um, Patrick Mahomes had an entire year to sit on the bench and learning behind and Smith, from Alex yeah. Smith and, and, and basically had Mike Kafka as a personal coach mm-hmm. for an entire year. Um, so to go out and be a rookie and have success, I think is hard. And so you just really have to read the tea leaves. I don't think you should be a kind of a Pollyanna and be optimistic about everything you do, but I think you should give him uh, a lot of uh, a grace period yeah. um, to understand it. Because I think in the NFL, you, the, the difference between playing in the NFL and playing yeah. in, in college is so, so massive. And the speed is insane. And, and you hear so many stories about guys who go on, you know, their first NFL, like regular season, yeah. even, even the speed from the preseason right. to the NFL is ridiculous. Right. And you hear so many stories about the guy who has their first drive in September and they're saying, what the hell is this? <laughs> and so I think uh, for a guy like that with so many expectations, it's going to take a while, but I just want them to be competitive and, and, and maybe win one or two games they shouldn't. Yeah. And that will tell me things are going in the wrong direction. Awesome. Right, right direction. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. We appreciate it. Good mm-hmm. luck on the course. Yeah. I don't Pick need up, it. But- yeah, <laughs> Kevin Clark, of course, you know him from The Ringer, Slow News Day. You can see videos of him there and everywhere. Um, great stuff from him as we're we're kind of getting to the end here. Uh, eventually, we have to uh, get the clubs in play as yeah. well. But I think a couple more things. I do want to do honeymoon food power rankings we do, yes. before we say goodbye. One more thing, though, on training camp. We, we got a little bit of who the pressure's on and that you mentioned. Yeah, Mims. I think Herndon, I think Mims is a Mims. big one. Uh, Beckton, I think there's some of that there. We're staying healthy and, and yeah. How about one more thing, the key position battle? Is it is it wide receiver? Is it running back? Is it cornerback? Yeah, I, I don't think running back and receiver because the way that LaFleur is going to use those guys is rotation. Right. I mean, every, everyone is going to play. It's not a matter of who's on the field the first play. It's not a matter of, like, everyone. Like, the, the difference between this Jets scheme and every other Jets scheme is that this is about who does things well and this coaching staff he's going to like LaFleur is going to look at what Jameson Crowder does well and what he's going to ask him to do on Sundays is what he does well it's not going to be about what uh Elijah Moore can't do it's gonna be what Elijah Moore can do and then that's what he's going to be asked to do and everything that everyone does well is what they're going to be in a position to do and they're going to do that it's an it's it's an alien concept around here but that's what good coaches do so I don't think it's about the running back rotation because you're going to see a rotation it's not about the receivers you're going to see the receivers I think the positional, the offensive line, as long as they stay healthy, you know who the five are going to be. I think the thing that is going to be fascinating for me to watch is just how the cornerback position shakes up. Because we see Bryce Hall, Bless Austin, and probably Michael Carter as those one, two, three, the two outside and in the middle. But I need to see if those guys can play. Or is it going to be someone like maybe Javelin Guidry who takes over there? You know, maybe it's Isaiah Dunn. You know, I don't know who it's going to be. Maybe it's someone else that comes out of nowhere. I'm sure the just chat just blew up when you mentioned Isaiah Dunn. Oh, yeah. We got that. It's another, it's another Dunn to add to the party. But, I mean, it's a, it's a, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how that positional group shakes out. But not only that, once the starters are determined, are they good? Because it's not just about being the best corner on the Jets. Like, I mean, that, that, that doesn't mean anything. Right. You know what I mean? It, it's not about being the best of the worst. It's about being good players. And I want to see who ends up finishing at those three corner spots. And if the Jets gamble of not necessarily overpaying a free agency, not going on the trade market, not trying to do one of the, like when the Giants signed to Dory Jackson, yeah, they gave him too much money, but they believe he's going to be better than what they had. Are the Jets going with what they have here? Are they going to regret it 
not just overpaying a little more because this isn't there. So it's not about just how the corner situation shakes out, but once it shakes out, are those players quality of players? All right, press box food power yeah. rankings is a regular segment on this podcast. Then it went away because yeah. we had COVID and Connor wasn't traveling and the food's yeah. not as good when it comes in a box wrapped up. But we're hoping to have it back for this season. But before that, you went on a honeymoon, yeah. which anybody who's been on a honeymoon on an island somewhere, yeah. it's usually good food every night. So the honeymoon yeah. food power rankings, let's hear it. Yeah, and honestly, and this please is, keep it, you know. I'll condense it. Yeah. I will condense I'll just do the 10. I have a full list here of 15. <laughs> 10. Yes, I, I ranked every place we had. I took a picture of each, ranked every place we had. I'll just do the, I'll, I'll just do the top five. I'll okay. save the, the top 10 This is Instagram. the first time you've looked at notes the entire it's podcast. It's true. Yeah, it's actually way. true. I need to make sure I don't miss any of them. But that's one of the reasons why Brie picked Aruba is because we're big foodies. So we like going out, going to the different restaurants, and that's what we were allowed to do in Aruba. So uh, number five, I went with Barefoot, which is kind of like a restaurant where you eat on the water. There's several of them there. This is the one that Brie and I chose to do. The good thing was just the food was delicious. I believe I had like a mahi-mahi with like this mango sauce on top. Absolutely love that. That one checked in at five. At number four is that if anyone's ever been to Aruba, once you say you're going to Aruba, everyone who's been to Aruba previously tells you what you do. And they, or they're like, hey, I ate here, I ate there. The one place that was recommended more than anything else was Madame Jeanette's. It's like out in this little courtyard, kind of off the beaten path. I had this unbelievable steak. I forget the exact cut of steak, but it was over mashed potatoes, great veggies, an incredible drink menu. They had great appetizers absolutely loved it so number four i had madame jeanette's check in number three was the most local and authentic place that we ate at it was zero overs so it was after we had left the the renaissance and after we had left bakuti and tara the resort we stayed at originally we went off this and you walk out onto a dock and literally the fishing boats go out whatever they catch they bring back and that's what you get you can get plantains oh, wow. with it fries with it but they catch the fish and then they fry it in front of you and brie and i had tuna shrimp plantains fries and a couple other things man when i tell you it was the most authentic delicious dish i had on the trip loved it like just authentic and good so that's number three uh number two i had old man in the sea which is actually the aruba ocean villas where we stayed at those overwater bungalows it was a restaurant for 20 years and then they had a bungalow that you could eat at and what the owner realized was that everyone was like i don't want to leave i don't want to leave i want to stay here i don't want to leave i don't want to leave i don't want to leave to finally like you know what let's build some more bungalows and just have people stay so yeah. it's still the old man in the sea also the bungalows the food, though, there was top-notch. I mean, we had a surf and turf, flame and yawn with lobster, just absolutely incredible. Loved it. So that was number two. And number one, uh, shouldn't be much of a surprise for anyone who's been to Aruba, but Faro Blanco. It's this Italian restaurant on top of a mountain where there's a lighthouse overlooking the entire island. The views are incredible. Watching a sunset there is incredible. The wine selection is incredible. And the meal was absolutely top-notch. I had lobster and ravioli and like this cream sauce, it was top notch. So that was absolutely number one for me, Faro Blanco. And then obviously I'll post pictures and all this on. If anyone knows me in this podcast, they know that I don't cover the NFL to cover the Jets. I cover it to go on press box power rankings. Have been dying to do this forever. Finally was able to do it in some extent. So that was uh, that was one through five for me. And I'll have 10 on, on Instagram later. I think the best sign that we're just about done here is that my computer is about to explode. So we should wrap things yeah. up uh, before we get, but we want to thank Silver Lake Golf Course, tremendous yep. job today putting this together. Uh, JJ, John Jastrzemski for coming on with us, but yep. also inviting us out here, yep. putting this whole thing together. Kevin Clark for stopping by as well and everything he brings as far as the football conversation. Yep. This has been a lot of fun. We're going to have to do this again. Absolutely, man. Yeah, next time maybe we'll have a little bit of shade. We'll get a tent. <laughs> That's we're going to get the athletic to expense a tent for us so that Marissa doesn't a have a refrigerator for, for the computer, yeah. you know, all, all the good stuff. But yep. we made it through. Thank you for joining us. If you've been watching on the stream on YouTube, if you catch up on the podcast, that's great as well. This has been the Can't Wait Podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with the start of training camp. Thanks for joining us.